want to talk to you about the last days. You know, a, a lot of times when, when you look at uh, last day message, people are wanting to dive into revelations and prophecies and everything that is there. And, and I think there's a ton of stuff that you can pull from there. And one of the things that people automatically want to know is where do you stand? Are you, are you pre-trib? Are you post-trib? Are you mid-trib? Are you, you know, all that. And, and they, they want to see that because a lot of times last day's doctrine has actually been something that has divided churches and has divided the body of Christ. And, and really today we're not going to get into pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, or any of that things, what we're going to talk about is what Jesus talked about when he talked about the last days. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is sharing with his disciples, and he's preaching about the last days, and, and he tells us some things to expect. And so we're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to relate it to what we're seeing going on in the world around us today. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, it says, And he was sitting by the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately. And so this isn't a teaching that Jesus is doing among big crowds. This is him with his disciples, you know, in, in a little small group session. I know many of you are meeting together in your homes or we're meeting together in churches and we're kind of uh, isolated into smaller groups and everything. And, and here we even see that Jesus had his own little small group. He, and he's having a small group Bible study right now and with his disciples. And it says... His disciples came to him asking, tell us, when, uh, when will these things happen, and what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ and, and mislead many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You will, uh, uh, but see that you are not frightened in those times. For these things must take place for the end to come. And I think this is a very important thing that we understand is that the chaos and some of the things that we're seeing going on around the world uh, of different types of wars and uprising and, and, and fighting and, and all of those things. Jesus said, listen, these things have to come. You know, every person, is, is, you know, we, we want to be gone and, and, and taken in the rapture. And, you know, we love songs like when we all get to heaven and everything. But in order for us to get to heaven, in order for the uh, Son of Man to come, these things have to take place, and we're seeing some of these things. So we, we don't need to be fearful, and that's what Jesus is saying. He said, you don't have to be afraid in the last days when you see these things come. And realize, this is just part of what's going to take place and needs to take place and, and leads to my coming back. It says nation will raise up against nation and, and kingdom against kingdom. And, and, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. And, and these, but it says these are merely the beginning of the birth pangs. So this is just the start of, of the, 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 uh, the tribulation and the things to come. And it says, and then I will deliver you uh, to tribulation. I know a lot of times we read that I will deliver you you from tribulation, but that's, that's not what Jesus said. I know that's what we wish he said, because we want God to deliver us from every bit of evil. We don't want to go through any tribulation. We don't want to go through trials, and Jesus actually said, not I would deliver you from tribulation, but I would deliver you to tribulation, and they will kill you. 
Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> wow, this is such an encouraging message. Come on, are you feeling uplifted right now? You're going to die because people are going to kill you. I mean, you, you can just think that the, the disciples are kind of looking at each other like, this isn't what we thought he was going to be preaching on. We, we thought we were going to rule and reign. We thought this is going to be great victory. We thought that everything was going to be fine. And, and I know that that is a lot of the feeling that is among the church today, is that the church is not going to see any tribulation or trials or anything. But if that were true, we all missed the rapture. Think about it. Because I don't know about you, but I'm seeing trials and tribulation. I'm seeing distress. I'm seeing these things take place. And even he says, this is just the beginning of what is going to take place. It says, you're going to be hated by all nations because of my name. And you look more and more today about how people are so anti-Christian. Even uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a, a, a movement and a hashtag against Christianity. And, and they're wanting to pull down Jesus statues all over the nation and all over the world. In Brazil, they want to take down that big Jesus statue and, and all of that. And, and Jesus said, this type of thing is going to happen. But it's not that they're hating you or they're rejecting you. In fact, that's what he had already told his disciples at the Last Supper. He said, he's, at the Last Supper, he told them, in this world, they're going to hate you and they're going to despise you. But listen, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And it goes on, and, at that and it says, because of that, at that time, many will fall away. And they will betray one another and they will hate one another. And so relationships will be broken. There will be divisions even among brethren and people will walk away from the faith and, and all of those things. It goes on and it says there will be many false prophets who arise and they will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased. Come on. How, much, how many you can see lawlessness increased? And in fact, some of the things that, that they want to happen in, in the world today of eliminating any types of authorities and eliminating police officers and all those things, listen, that is only going to lead to lawlessness increasing all the more and all the more quickly. It says lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. When Jesus talked about the last days, he didn't paint a picture of everything being perfect. He didn't paint a picture of everything being wonderful and great and just blessing upon blessing upon blessing. In the church world today, we need to understand this because there, I think the, the, the prosperity message of the gospel and some of the things that we've been taught and preached actually are going to make us ill-prepared for things that we're going to encounter. And that's why so many people, are, the world, world is being shaken right now, is because they never thought that we would see anything like what we're seeing today in the world today. Uh, they thought that once all this type of craziness came, that we're already going to be out of here and everything's going to be fine. And listen, I am not saying right now, just so you know, I am not, I, again, I'm not taking a stance on, on tribulation thing. I'm not saying that we're all going to die and have to give our head and starve to death and all those things. So before I start getting all those nasty emails and comments and phone calls and stuff, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that Jesus told us, and this isn't the only place in John 16, He said, in this world you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. 
He goes on in Matthew 24, verse 21, and says, there will, be great there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred from the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will, unless the days had been cut short. I want you to listen to this. Unless the days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days are cut short. So for the sake of those Christians, God cuts the day short because otherwise the tribulation would end up wiping everybody out. It goes on in verse uh, 23 and says, "There, Then if anyone says, Behold, here is the Christ, and there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and great signs and wonders uh, and, and so they're going to be able to perform miracles and things in front of people so that they can mislead people. And it even says this, if so, they would even mislead the elect. And when you look at that passage and you think about that, there is a common theme in what Jesus is talking about through that. He starts out talking about, don't let anybody mislead you. Don't let anybody lead you astray. There are going to be people who come and teach you different things. There are going to be people who want to change the rules. There are going to be people who want to change the laws. There are going to be people who want to, to, to call good evil and evil good. But don't be misled. Why? I think this is very important that we have to realize what's going on in the world today. We are seeing the enemy function in one of his most powerful weapons that he has. And that weapon is the weapon of deception. You see, the enemy is a master deceiver. And I want you to think about this. Let's, let's just look at the track record of the thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Remember this. When he was in heaven, not only did he say, I will exalt, I will ascend. And, and he began to talk about how he was going to exalt himself above God. Come on, how many of you know he was deceived? And God wanted to make sure that he, that he didn't let him walk in his deception. So he ended up throwing him down from heaven. But when he threw him down from heaven... One-third of the angels went with the enemy. One-third of the angels went with the devil, which means that he had deceived one-third of the angels who had seen the face of God, who had seen the throne room of God, who had seen the goodness, the mercy, the grace, and all of that of God. He deceived one-third of them into coming and find and following him in his rebellion when he tried to overthrow God and knock God off of his throne. Now, I know some people, they, they get worried about that because they're, they're like, well, I mean, if he could deceive one-third of the, the angels and he's got one-third of the angels with him. Well, I don't, I'm not a math major or anything, but my son is, is you know, third, fourth grade, and, and he already is kind of learning those things of fractions. If he took one-third, how many of you know there's still two-thirds of the angels that are there? You still got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. None of them were dethroned from heaven. So when we, we don't have to be afraid because we, there is still more with us than is with them. 
We still have the one who won the battle in this uprising and this upheaval and stuff. We still are on the side of the victorious thing. And we still will always be upon the side of the victorious thing as long as we continue to walk in his word and we don't fall for his deception. Think about this even back to the Garden of Eden. What did Eve say when Eve uh, sinned and ate from the fruit and God confronted her in Genesis chapter 3? It said, the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? And look at what, the, what Eve said. It says, and the woman said, this serpent deceived me. And so I ate it. So from the very first thing, the way that the enemy uh, brought sin into the world was by using deception. And I'm telling you, that's what we're seeing in the world today. We are seeing mass deception all over the place. We're, we're seeing churches even that, that, that accept uh, lifestyles and accept practices and have deviated from clear scriptures about what the Word of God says on many different issues, uh, moral issues, on life issues, and all of those things. We are seeing even God's people and churches being deceived and, and living life lifestyles that are contrary and preaching messages that are contrary to the word of God that we're supposed to uphold. It's very easy to sit there and say, well, we've got media, and the media is, they, they never tell the truth. There's nobody who reports one side. And I can tell you this, there is not one single media platform that is not uh, going and, and telling the news that they give that it is not slanted and filtered one way or another to fulfill the agenda that they hope to have. And I know some of you are like, but Fox News, no, not Fox News. None of them. They all have their own agenda. They all have their own spin. Everything that we see on social media, everything that we see is people's version of the truth. It is that we live in a culture that feels like there is no absolute truth anymore. That you can have your own truth. You need to find your own truth. But can I tell you something? That is nothing but deception. It's a lie. Even in our education system, we teach children things that even go against what science says and proves. It's, it's mass deception everywhere that we go. And so when we see this, what are, what are the results that we see? We see Young adults who a lot of times are serving God through high school and then they go off to college and they get in an educational system that teaches them an agenda and a, and, and a thought process and everything. We see young adults that, that leave the faith and, and even question the existence of God anymore. We see people who within the church who think that they are genuinely saved. They feel like they have a relationship with God but yet they, they don't even know him. They don't even spend time in prayer. They don't even go to church most of the time. They have no desire to be in the presence of God. God is just somebody that they talk to when they're praying over their food or when something bad happens in their life and they need help. We have so many people that sit inside our churches today who their lives, they say with their mouth that Jesus is their Lord, but they completely deny him with their lifestyle. 
And Jesus said this. He said, listen, you can know a tree by its fruit. This is Matthew 7. You can go look it up. He said, you know a tree by its fruit. A good tree is not going to produce bad fruit. And a bad tree is not going to produce good fruit. And it's time that we begin to do self-evaluations and we begin to look at our lives and what type of fruit are we producing in our life. We see Christians that are living defeated lifestyles when we have God on our side. And like we said last week, if God is for us, then who can stand against us? We have men who think that they're women and women who think that they're men, even though biologically and scientifically and everything, DNA and everything proves otherwise. Why? Because it's a spirit of deception. We no longer call children children. We call children tissues. We no longer call the death of a baby murder. We call it abortion. And we've learned through the time of coronavirus that obviously it's an essential service because it continued to go on when everything else got shut down. So how do we change things? How in the world do we make a difference when everywhere we look is darkness? Everywhere that we look is chaos. Everywhere that we look are lies and deception. It's very easy to feel like we're outnumbered. It's very easy to feel like our... Our country is too far gone. There's, there's nothing that we can change. But I want to tell you something. That's not the truth. And the first way that we begin to expose deception is that we turn back to the truth. And if you look at that, that is not a lowercase t. That is a capital T. Because the truth is Jesus. Not a version of the truth. Not a widely accepted version of the truth. It's not about what's widely accepted. In fact, Jesus talked about this. He said, a narrow is the way that leads to, to truth, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and wide is the path that leads to destruction. I don't want to just be on what's widely accepted because it's the easier route. I would rather take the narrow route because and, and it end in life versus taking the widely accepted route and it end in destruction. We need the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. Can I get an amen? You know, I was thinking about this this morning. The, the movie Inception is kind of like what we're living in. The movie Inception, the guy lives in a dream world. He lives in a made-up world. And, and part of what his responsibility to do is to go into other people's dreams and, and try to convince them to do certain things and try to convince them to act in certain ways and everything. And so as he goes into people's dreams, he has this little top that he keeps in his hand. And that little top is the thing that, that lets him know, I'm in a dream world right now or I'm in reality. That's the thing because he is in, when he's in the midst of all the deception, 
deception that it's around, he doesn't have any way to know whether it's truth or not because the deception is so deep, except for the one little thing that he holds on to in his hand. That little top that he holds on to in his hand lets him know where he is. And the thing that the church has to hold on to is the truth of the word of God. And when we see a widespread deception, when we see things that are widely accepted, and it seems like we're in an alternate reality, and somehow we've missed it, if we would just hold on to the truth of the word of God, we will realize what is true, and we will not accept the lies of the enemy. We will not fall. We will not be deceived by what the enemy is trying to throw out there. But in order to understand the truth, come on, you've got to be in the truth. When we talk about quiet time with God, when we talk about devotion with God, this is not a religious ritual. This is so that you can see through the lies of the enemy. This is so that you can see through the lens of the word of God, so that you have something to hold on to, so that you don't fall into deep, dark depression and it seem like everything is hopeless because we are not those without hope. We are those that are connected to the life of Jesus. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. If God is for us, then who can be against as we overwhelmingly conquer through God who loved us and laid down his life for us. When you begin to read the word of God and get the word of God inside of you, it changes your perspective. And I can tell you there have been times over the past few weeks where a spirit of hopelessness and depression tries to hover among my head and tries to get up on me. But like I said at the beginning when we were talking about our nation, sometimes you just have to go and think upon the things that are pure and just and holy and righteous and, and, th- and pull yourself out of that pit. Begin to find the promises of God and stand upon the promises of God so that you don't believe the lies of the enemy we got to build our house upon the rock. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he said, Therefore, if anybody hears these words, I want you to see this because this is very important because many people hear the word of God. They come to church and they hear the word of God or they listen to you version or, or they listen to other sermons or whatever and they hear the word of God. But he, he didn't just say those who hear the word. He said those who Act upon them. Those who hear it and those who dear it. What did James say about that? He said, we don't need to just be hearers of the word of God, but we need to be doers of the word of God. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. We need to hear it. We need to do it. So when it says love your neighbor, we need to love your neighbor. When it says to forgive, we need to forgive. When it says that we need to hope all, endure all, and, and all of that, when it comes into love, then we need to put the word of God into practice. It says this person will be compared to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. When the rain fell, the, the floods came, and the winds beat up against the house. It did not fall because it was founded upon the rock. But the problem is that we have a lot of times in the church world today is that people build their house halfway on the rock and halfway on the sand. Well, when we built this building, they, they had to take a mountaintop and push it down, and, and they crushed the rock down, and they built up the other part. So part of 
our land and property, even though it's all flat, part of it is what's called cut, which is the mountaintop that you cut into. The other part of it is fill. And one of the things that we had to find when we were building our buildings is we had to find where the cut fill line was because you could not build. I mean, you could if you wanted to spend crazy money and risk your building. You couldn't build half on the cut and half on the fill because what would happen is the cut isn't going anywhere. It's a mountain that has been there forever until we busted through it. The fill is temporary and it's still settling. And if we built half the building upon the cut and half the building upon the fill, the half with the fill would begin to fall and it begins to break apart the building. And what's happened in a lot of people's lives because they have picked and choose what they want to believe and what they want to hold on to, their life isn't totally wiped out, but it's crumbling. And I think a lot of people right now are seeing their homes crumbling. They're seeing their marriages crumbling. They're seeing their relationships crumbling. They're seeing their finances crumbling. And it's because they haven't built an area of their life upon the rock. Can I tell you something? If you're seeing that right now, this isn't a condemnation message. This is a you need to get your house solid on the rock, formed on the truth. And what happens when we do this is exactly what Paul told Timothy was going to happen in the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said this, realize in the last days there's going to be difficult times to come. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be boastful. They'll be arrogant. They'll be rivalers. They'll be disobedient to parents. They'll be ungrateful. They'll be unholy. They'll be unloving, irreconcilable. They'll be malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although denying its power. If you look at all of that, that defines exactly where we are in the world today. But then it says this at the very end of it. It says, avoid such men as these. Now, I've taken eight Greek lessons so far. I'm not an expert in any means, but one of the things that we have already discovered is, is when they write out the words, word order matters in how it's defined, and that sentences aren't broken up the same in English as they are in Greek. And so when Paul is writing this and he says, avoid such men as these, he's not talking about the revilers and the, the people who are haters of good and all of that, because those are all things that are listed. He goes, he's talking about the people who hold the form of godliness, but deny its power. Sometimes in the church world today, we're so afraid of the unbelievers and so we don't reach out to them, we don't witness to them, we don't love them, we don't serve them. But, but Paul isn't warning Timothy about the unbelievers. He's just saying that's the state of the union, that's the state of where we are. He's warning him about those people who say they're believers, but are not walking in the power of love, who are not walking in the power of God's word, who are not walking in the power of his presence. And the way that you end up 
in a place where complete deception is accepted as reality is through gradual small changes. Come on, how many of you had to read that book, Animal Farm, by Georgia Orwell in, in school? It was one that I actually almost halfway read. I at least read the Cliff Notes version of it. But in, in Animal Farm, they over, the, the animals overthrew the farmer because they didn't like his oppression. They thought that he was too oppressive. And, and so they reestablished and they set up their own laws. And So these are a couple of the laws they set up that, that they had. It's like wherever, uh, whatever goes on two legs is an enemy. Whatever has four legs or has wings is a friend. Uh, no animal shall wear clothes. Uh, no animal shall sleep in a bed. No animal shall drink alcohol. They didn't want any drunk pigs or any drunk donkeys or anything like that. Uh, no animal shall kill any other animal. All animals are equal. No animal shall wear uh, clothes. I mean, they, they, these are the laws, okay? But what they found out was that the pigs were the only people who could read the laws that they had posted. And so over the course of time, the pigs decided that farmer's house is empty. That bed is a whole lot more comfortable than straw. So let's just gradually change some words, some semantics of things, so that all the other animals will believe these. And so what used to be no animals shall sleep in a bed was changed to no animal shall sleep in a bed with sheets. Come on, we don't want them too comfortable. You can sleep in the bed, just not with sheets. What used to be no animal shall drink alcohol now is no animal shall drink alcohol to excess. So animals can drink, they just can't get drunk. The next thing was no animal shall kill any other animal was the thing before, but now it's no animal shall kill any other animal without cause. You see, they're just changing one or two words, moving some things around, but how I many know it changes the complete definition of what's being said. All animals are equal used to be the thing. Now it's all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Their mantra, their, their, the thing that they went and rebelled against the, the farmer on was four legs are good, two legs are bad. But then the pigs decided they wanted to walk around on two legs because it was easier to get in the house, it was easier to get up on the bed, it was easier to get to the cabinets and all of those things. So they changed it from four legs good, two legs bad to four legs good, two legs better. Small changes, gradual changes, but it leads to completely different meaning altogether. Now, how has that happened in our world today? It's not a baby, it's a fetus, it's just cells. And so we've gradually reduced life to where it's just, we're just harvesting cells. It's not anything. And because of that, what would have been called infant side 10 years ago is accepted as a medical practice today. 
And because the laws have gradually kept moving, even when it comes to abortion, where if I'm pregnant at 40 weeks, that would be a miracle, an immaculate conception if I got pregnant. But if a woman was pregnant and delivering at 40 weeks, they could deliver that baby fully formed, fully breathing, fully crying, and they could murder that baby and it'd be called a medical procedure. And the worst part about it is is that starting five or six years ago, our hard-earned tax-paying dollars that we pay now pay for these murders to take place. Now, before anybody gets all mad and stuff, this doesn't mean, well, I'm not paying my taxes anymore. I've, I've sat with people who's like, well, all my money that I pay for taxes, it goes to things that I don't accept. Listen, <coughs> Jesus said, and remember, we're basing our lives upon the word of God. Jesus said, render under Caesar what is Caesar's. And Caesar was not a godly man. Caesar was an evil man. Caesar was a conquering man. Caesar murdered people. I mean, it was, it was not that type of thing. The voice that we have in, in this is, is our votes. The voice that we have is petitions. The voices we have is making appeals to the leadership that is there. That's the process that God wants us to do to begin to see those types of things. But listen, I know some people are already like, well, Pastor Brandon, you're just getting political about things. But you have to understand something. Life was not political. Life was something that Scripture wrote about long before there was Planned Parenthood or abortion clinics or any of those things. I mean, even in Scripture in the Old Testament, they used to sacrifice their kids to a God named Moloch in order to try to have more kids and everything. And God even spoke about that in Scripture. Scripture is clear that life, remember, we're basing our life upon the Word of God. And in Psalms 139, it says that when you were, you were formed in my inward parts, you wove me together in my mother's wombs, and I give thanks to you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. What's he saying? I was alive and I was a person. He goes on and talks about how every day of my life was written before I even lived one. That's life, and this is way before Abortion came to be a political issue. In Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I'd already consecrated you, and I had appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. God planned out our life, but do we take the time to find his plan for our life? And that's where we got to get into the Word of God because Psalms 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path when things seem dark, when it seems like you have nowhere to go, you don't know what to do, then it is clear God's Word will shine the light on it and if you would just turn to it and get the truth inside of you, you'll find it. But we got to take the time to get into it. 
When we get into the Word of God, we look at the issues that we see in our nation, our country today. We see marriage between a man and a woman. We see life starting in the womb at conception. We see that every single life, whether it's a black life, a white life, a, a Hispanic life, a Asian life, a, 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 a police officer, a, 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 a checkout cashier, whatever, that every single life matters to God. But on the other side of it, because every life matters to God, we need to seek justice for people who are being oppressed. We need to seek justice for people. It's not one or the other. It's both. We need to love our neighbor. We don't overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. We need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. We, we need to use a gentle answer to turn away wrath. All of the issues that we're seeing in our culture today are answered with the truth. But the truth isn't going to invade your life. You have to invite him in. And that's the second thing, is invite the truth into our lives on a daily basis. Keys, you guys can come on up. What is the truth? John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word of God is is with us and said the word came and dwelt among us and and he, he became flesh and he was the father full of grace and truth and so we see that Jesus was full of grace he was full of truth he came and dwelt among us and then Jesus himself said in John 14 6 he said I am the way the truth and one of the grammar terms I've learned in Greek that I forgot from when I was a kid is definite articles Definite articles means it leaves it up for no doubt. It's not some truth or a truth. A is not a definite article. The is a definite article. Jesus didn't say, I am a truth. He said, I am the truth. So how do we invite him in? Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people are called by my name will humble themselves and they pray they seek my face they turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land my eyes will be open my ears will be attentive to the prayers that are offered in that place for now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever so when we pray, when we seek his face, when we turn from our wicked ways, he says, okay, that's my house. And I'm going to go dwell among them forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. God is just looking for people who invite him in. People who would get in the truth and invite the truth in so that we can expose the lies of the enemy, so that we can expose that. We've got to decide to get the word in us. And pray, that's why I said in John 15, he said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then you ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. Guys, we've got to turn back to the truth, not just a cheap version of it. And we've got to invite the truth in
into our daily lives. And when we do that, we'll dispel darkness. We'll expose the lies of the enemy. We'll begin to be the church that God called us to be. The city on a hill, the light of the world, that cannot be hidden. That people see the good works in us and they bring glory to God. The way that our nation is going to be healed is not by political agendas. It's not by movements. It's not by rioting. It's not by protests. It's by God's people hitting their knees and inviting him back into our country. Many in our country have turned their backs on God. But it doesn't say that they all have to repent and turn back to God. It just says that if my people would do it, I'll come and bring the 